Hello, my friends. Michael Youssef here, and I just wanted to thank you for connecting with Leading the Way. Our entire team is wholly committed to passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth of God's Word, and it cannot be done without you. Learn more about what God has charged us to do around the world by clicking around ltw.org. That's ltw.org. Thank you, and may God richly bless you as you seek to serve Him. Most of you probably, all of you, I don't know, have made some New Year's resolutions. And I know some people do all kinds of things. Some people who do make New Year's resolution and believers want to read the Bible more, pray, spend time, go to church regularly. I know some people want to lose 100 pounds and exercise more, get out of financial debt, be kind to animals. Whatever resolutions you have placed or committed yourself to, I think I am safe in saying that there are very few, if any, would have made a New Year's resolution to plan for where they're going to spend their forever. I think I'm safe in saying there are very few people who actually set goals in relationship to their eternity and where they will spend eternity. I think there are very few people who would have sat down and asked themselves in the new year, how many people will be in heaven this coming year as a direct result of my praying? How are my goals this year are going to impact my eternal dwelling place where I will be forever and ever? What is it that God would have me accomplish this year so that heaven, my future home, my permanent home, my real home will be rejoicing today? I just doubt that many people would have made this kind of resolution. And yet, that's exactly what God wants every one of us to do. And that's exactly what God wants us to be thinking. That is exactly the resolution that God wants. You say, oh, wait a minute, how, well, wait a minute, Michael, what, how do you know that? Well, I'm going to tell you. Jesus tells one of the most unlikely parables One of the most unlikely stories in the whole of the Bible. Why? In order to shock us, to hit us between the eyeballs, to wake up, to realize, to get our attention, to know that that's exactly what he wants. To get our generation to make this all the all-important resolution. And yet, the very resolution that most people ignore... I was talking to a friend just a couple of weeks ago about Luke 16, the parable. Probably in your Bible is marked as the unjust steward. One specific thing about this parable, it is very Jewish. Now, the whole Bible is from cover to cover. But this parable is very culturally Jewish. So if you cannot think Semitically, you're going to have a problem with this parable. 
And I'm going to promise you, by the end of this message, you will be thinking Jewish. You'll be thinking Semitic. You will understand the very heart and the depth of what Jesus is trying to communicate in this parable for every one of us. Verse 9. I want you to underline verse 9 in your Bible. Luke 16, 9. It is the key verse of the whole parable. Jesus said, I will tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into their eternal dwellings. What is Jesus saying? Here's what he's saying. Listen to me. He is saying, as surely as God himself, this age is coming to an end. As surely as the word of God is true, the money that God has given you in this life, one day is going to lose its value. As surely as God himself, all material possessions that you possess right now will amount to zero in the last day. As surely as heaven itself Your stocks and bonds, your real estate holdings, your investments will one day amount to zilch. So what's the point? The point is this. What matters is what you do with your possessions in preparation for your permanent home in heaven. What matters is that there is a way for you To take your possessions with you to heaven. Say, wait a minute, Michael. I've heard it all my life. People say, you can't take it with you. Well, I'm telling you now, on the authority of Jesus, that you can. (laughs) That's what he's saying here. He's saying, actually, you can. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 19, he said exactly the same thing. Mark that reference down. 1 Timothy 619. He said the same thing. You know what Paul called it? He called it laying up for yourself a good foundation for eternal future. I want to ask you this. Do you know why many Christians, and I'm not talking about the people out there. I'm talking about the body of Christ. I'm talking about believers. Do you know why they think more about their earthly future than their eternal future? I mean, here it is. When you figure out 90, 100, I don't know. (laughs) Some people go young, some people go old. It doesn't really matter. Because even 100 years is like a drop in the ocean in relationship to where you're going to be living for eternity. Hundreds of thousands of years is so minuscule in comparison to your eternal future. And yet most Christians... Spend their time, spend their energy, spend their money thinking about their earthly future. Do you know why they do that? you know why? Because they are influenced by the thinking of those who are without Christ more than they are influenced by the Word of God. That really is. I'm in that boat. (laughs) Listen, I'm not pointing a finger at you. I know. It's a struggle, constant struggle, daily struggle. Sometimes it's minute-by-minute struggle. 
It's heaven, Jesus is saying, where you are going to meet people who will come up to you and say, because of your resolution to see to it that the gospel is preached, because of your resolution to see to it to support gospel preaching ministry, because of your resolution to plan your giving for world evangelism, because of your resolution and your commitment to sharing of your faith with somebody else, because of your diligent praying and sacrificial giving, I am here in heaven today. That's what Jesus is saying in this parable. I owe my salvation to Jesus Christ, but I also owe something to you, because without you, I would not have heard the message of forgiveness, and I would have not received Jesus Christ as the Savior of my soul, and I would never have made it to heaven. How come? I want you to hear me right, please. When Jesus wanted us to learn this incredible lesson, He gives us a most striking parable in order to grab our attention. What Jesus wants us to learn from this parable is this, that people here on earth are going to judge you on the basis of what you have. Read the text. It's right there. They're going to judge you on the basis of your net worth. They're going to judge you on the basis whether you're a millionaire or a billionaire or whatever it is, the next one. That's how they're going to judge you. That's how they're going to say, here he goes. I just heard the other day, somebody else is in another city. We were out of town and we just heard somebody building $20 million home. I think it's crazy. It's nuts to spend that kind of money on a house that's going to be destroyed anyway. They talk about, that's how the world judges you, see. People stand there and take notice of you. But Jesus said, huh, that's what the people do, but that doesn't really last. Do you want to know how God really judges you? He does not judge you on the basis of what you have. He judges you on the basis of what you gave. People always ask me, and I want to go and get a loan, and said, what's your statement of net worth? I said, let's see. I calculate all the money that I've given through the years, and, and I said, no, that's my net worth. I said this once to a banker. He laughed at me. But that's really my net worth. It's what I send on for eternity. It's not whatever the few things I've got right here. That's not my net worth. People judge you on what you have. Jesus said, but God is judging you on the basis of what you gave. Really, you got a choice here. You can choose to be happy by how people judge you or you'll be happy by how God judges you. That's really your choice. It's your choice. Christian, I want you to listen to me. Your personal budget is a theological statement. I really believe that with all my heart. Your personal budget is a statement of belief. Your personal budget is an indication of whom you worship. Your personal budget is a description of where your heart is. And that is why 16 out of the 38 of the parables of Jesus have to do with handling of material possessions. In all four Gospels, one out of ten verses, 288 in all, 
deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible gives us 500 verses on prayer. Less than 500 on faith. But more than 2,000 verses on money and handling of money and material possession. And he gets some sanctimonious people, shower us with their sanctimonious dribble and say, Oh, but Michael, you shouldn't be talking about money. I want to give you a criterion. Person who doesn't like the preacher to preach on money, doesn't like teachers to teach on money, they're the very people who made God out of money. I remember a preacher from yesteryear, Clovis Chapel, was a great man of God, great Methodist preacher. He used to say, I love to preach on money because I love to see the stingy suffer and the stewards rejoice. <laughs> I love that man. I should have heard him preach. Only if you made a God out of money. We don't want to talk about it. I want you to listen carefully. I'm going to tell you. If it was good enough for Jesus to talk about it over and over and over again, it ought to be good for you. It ought to be good for me. How is Jesus suggesting that you make friends in heaven with your money? Now, we are evangelical, Protestants, Reformed. We don't believe that you buy your way into heaven. We don't believe that you can buy your salvation. All the money in the world cannot do it. We know you cannot buy Christ's forgiveness of your sins. Not all the money in the world would do that. We know that you cannot buy eternal life with Him. Not all the money in the world can buy you that. We know you cannot buy people off. Then how is the money going to make you friends in heaven? I want to tell you exactly how. When you pour your energy, when you pour your time and your prayer and your money into gospel preaching ministry, you will not get your name in the town hall. You're not going to get your name on a big plaque. But your investment is going to be used of God to bring the lost people to Himself. And that investment that is known to God is going to be pronounced on a public address system in heaven. And all the people who have heard the gospel because of your sacrifices are going to come up to you in the day you get to heaven and say, God bless you, thank you. That's what he's saying. In heaven, you're going to have so many grateful people. You're thinking you're missing out on some cocktail party? (laughs) You're going to get an invitation. You might get six invitations a day. (laughs) Because people are so grateful that you and your love for them, love for Jesus Christ, you have made it possible for them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus use this specific illustration to make this point? Listen carefully. You see, Jesus often used earthly examples to illustrate heavenly principles. Jesus knew that people, most people, can relate to this man's shrewdness. Jesus knew that people, most people, can relate to this man's clever thinking. Jesus knew that people, most people, can relate to this man's foresight and planning. Jesus knew that people, most people, can relate to this man's planning ahead and not living in a fool's paradise. And so Jesus said, 
learn from a crook who is doing crooked things for his own earthly future. Learn from this cunning, scheming man who, only thinking of his few years on earth, but instead you plan diligently for godly things, the godly way to achieve godly ends. So before I get carried away with the introduction, I want to get to the message. The three things I believe the Lord really wants us to learn from this parable. Number one, that this crook faced reality head on. Secondly, that he projected the future. Thirdly, he acted upon his convictions, wrong as they were. He faced reality. You know, I met so many Christians who are really unrealistic. I mean, there are people who are just not realistic. No matter what you do, they're just not realistic. They're not realistic about their own abilities. They're not realistic about their own expectations. They're not realistic about themselves. At least this rascal, this crook, was very realistic about himself. He was very realistic about his condition. He was very realistic about his expectations. Most Christians are unrealistic about life. You want to know why? They really are not. They are not realistic about this life. Most Christians, and I dare say I have fallen in that trap a few times myself. I'm going to tell you how. They don't want to even think that they may not be around a year from now. We don't want to think that. We don't want to think that you could be with Jesus or I could be with Jesus far sooner than we would want or expect. They want to think that they're going to live forever. Oh, intellectually they know they're not going to live forever, but they don't want to talk about it. You know why? Because they had this mystical thing, this pagan idea that if you talk about it, it's going to happen to you. <laughs> Listen, the Bible said they're appointed unto man to die once. The day and you're going to go to heaven is written in heaven. That date was written before you were born. You can't do anything about that. Jesus said, who of you, by worrying, you're going to add a second to your life. You can't. So get that out of the way. (laughs) Forget about this pagan influence that we have in our culture. We are so influenced by pagan thinking. And pagan thinking has influenced so many churches and so many Christian folks that we sometimes think like pagans instead of thinking biblically. And so much so, we're so unrealistic about life we talk about it as if it's going to go on forever. It won't. <laughs> and so much that has happened that today in the average church, in the average body of Christ, in the average believers, they have ceased to talk about our incredible inheritance, our fantastic inheritance that is, had been laid to us in heaven. We have ceased to talk about that. Unlike this rascal... We don't want to face reality. But this man in facing reality hid on. He made reality to fit his situation. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6.20. But store up for yourselves treasures. Where? In the stock market? Lay up treasure for yourselves. Where? In the bank? No. Why treasures? He's talking about 
chunks now. We're not talking about a couple of dollars you drop in the plate on Sunday morning. He's talking about treasures. Vast sums. Because that can be money, can be energy. Because what is money, it is minted personality. He said, in heaven. How? By investing in evangelism and reaching of the unsaved and the lost. By investing in ministries that are helping to change men and women's eternal future. That's the criterion. It's changing eternal future. So this crook not only faced reality. Secondly, he looked ahead. He began to project himself in the life of poverty and unemployment and deprivation. And he made provision for the future. I believe everybody should make provision for the future. And I hope that you'll never walk out of here thinking, Michael Yusuf said, I shouldn't make any plans for my earthly future. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying, also make plans for your eternal future. I want to challenge you in this new year. Take time every day. Just take time. If it's a moment, it doesn't matter how long. Just take time. Project yourself in heaven. He died and went to heaven. And here you are in the presence of Jesus. What are you going to say to him? Oh, Lord Jesus, I served you with all my heart. Oh, I'm so thankful to be here, Lord Jesus. I, I, I gave myself. I gave my all. I've done. Your kingdom was everything to me, Lord Jesus. Or are you going to try to be hiding from him? Say, <laughs> so, man, what do I say to him? <laughs> you know there's some homeless people in heaven? They're going to be homeless people in heaven. They're the ones who really clawed their way, barely got in. Paul calls that be burnt like hay and sable. Some people work, you'll be like gold and silver. They're going to be purified. And they're going to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Visualize yourself with your loved ones who love Jesus, who are with him. And then visualize yourself with others who are going to be so grateful to you for your faithfulness, for your planning, for your diligence, for your care. And because of your faithfulness, they made it to heaven. Think about that. Give it a couple of minutes a day. Increase it if you want to. You know, the reason I admire business people is that they always plan. They're always planning. They're always planning. They're always looking and making some plans ahead. Unfortunately, there are so many people who don't think that it's important for ministries to plan. They think it's not very spiritual. I am convinced that planning that is done on the knees of prayer is very spiritual. Planning that is honoring to God and consistent with the will of God in the Word of God is very spiritual. Planning that is expectant of the supernatural intervention of God in every aspect of our lives is very spiritual. Planning that is faith-filled, God says, very spiritual. Let me ask you this. What percentage of your investment is made in the place where you're going to be spending your forever. What percentage? Look, I know people spend a lot of time planning for where they're going to spend weekends. I know people who make a lot of plans for where they're going to spend their vacation. I know people who make lots of plans of where they'll spend their retirement. But listen, 
If you do all of this and you neglect spending time to find out what you're doing in terms of investing of where your forever is, you failed yourself. And I want you to think about that for a long time. Long time. Listen, I've seen people who have left a fortune to their children and grandchildren, and they ruined them. Jesus' words to us today is this. Invest in eternity. Invest in eternity. This rascal not only faced reality hit on, this rascal not only projected the future, but thirdly, this rascal acted upon his convictions wrong as they were. You know, if you are anything like me, you would get flabbergasted. Sometimes I get, my reaction is so strong that I literally weep over the commitment of those who have a commitment to wrong things. I really do. I react with such passion about that that I feel such shame in my commitment in relationship to their commitment. There are some who are deeply committed to wrong things. They shame me. They ought to shame you. Look at the commitment of the ACLU to fight on many of the wrong things. Look at the commitment of the people of the American way who are committed to the wrong things. Look at the commitment of Planned Parenthood who are committed to murdering babies in their mother's womb. Look at the commitment of those who kill and commit suicide for misguided causes. I think Jesus would have said to us if he is walking, walk down this aisle today and he comes up here. I think the parable he would use would be different from this one. He would use a parable of the hijackers and the suicide bombers. And see, look, they're ready to lose their life for a misguided cause. How much more you who know eternal life through the blood of my bloodshed on the cross should be committed to the gospel and the preaching of the gospel. Jesus said in Luke 16, 11, So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? Referring to the riches of heaven. I remember some years ago, somebody was going through a financial trouble. I said, man, he said, if I ever make a million dollars, I'm going to tithe. (laughs) <laughs> I laughed a long time on that one. <laughs> I said, when you don't tithe the dollar, you ain't going to tithe the million. Let me assure you. And sure enough. Do you know what the problem is with all of us? Do you really want to know the problem? I really think it's a problem for all of us. Is that we fall in the trap of thinking that we own what we have. <laughs> we really do. We fall in the trap of thinking that we are more than just managers entrusted by a boss. And we miss out on many of the blessings. And I may tell you something. Not only I think blessings in here and now, but blessings for eternity. Let me plead with you. Do not react to this message as the Pharisees reacted to Jesus' parable in verse 14 of Luke 16. 
Don't react that way. Here's what the reaction of the Pharisees after they heard Jesus. He said, and the Pharisees who were lovers of money. You notice he did not say they had money. (laughs) They were lovers of money. I've met people who have lots of money. They're not lovers of money. And I've met people who have no money, but they're lovers of money. A world of difference between the two. And the Pharisees who are lovers of money heard all these things and they scoffed at him. Please don't scoff. I don't care if you scoff at me, but don't scoff at the words of Jesus. It is possible to scoff at Jesus. Oh, listen, I know in the 21st century we'll be a little bit more polite than the Pharisees were. And, and we will kind of sanitize it and we'll give it a spiritual spin. And, and of course we make an excuse and say, oh, this is unrealistic. I'm involved in so many good things. I'm, um, I give a lot of things and I, I do things. I'm involved in this and I'm involved in the other thing. And we'll rationalize it and clean it and spiritualize it. Ask yourself the question. Is what I'm involved in changing the eternal destiny of people? Is what I'm involved in changing the eternal destiny of people? Will it make me friends in heaven? Am I planning for my forever home? And if so, what are my plans this year? next year, the years to come, until Jesus comes back or he takes me home, whichever comes first. Shall we pray? Father, with that absolute faith and trust in your power and the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and penetrate Every heart, every mind, every soul. Father, I pray that for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the kingdom, come, Holy Spirit, move. Lord, I thank you that you are the searcher of all of our hearts. Your servant Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful and corrupt and cannot be trusted. But oh God, we know that when your light comes into our heart, our spirit links to your spirit and we will respond to your voice. And Jesus, you said, my sheep will hear my voice and will recognize my voice. May anything that I've said that is not of you, Lord Jesus, be forgotten from the minds of all of us. And only that which you want us to remember for eternity will remain. And Father, I thank you that you always hear and answer our prayers. Because we pray them in faith, in Jesus' name.